every good story, it doesn't matter what kind of story you like, movie you like, book you like, whether you like the chick flicks, whether you like action, or even if you like sports movies, every movie, every story, every book has this idea of there is a good person or people in it and a villain of some sort. And even as I thought through this, I was thinking that our our daughters especially are all about Frozen, right? And even in this Disney movie of Frozen, there is this uh, this prince who has come and he's going to fool these girls into allowing him. And so Hans comes and he's going to, to marry Anna and so he's going to take over the kingdom. And so even in the movie Frozen, you're sitting there wondering, is he going to figure out a way to uh, kill off Elsa and, and take over this kingdom? Or if you were like me, and I'm, I know I'm a little late to the party, Catherine and I have just started in the last month or so watching uh, the TV show 24 and Jack Bauer, right? And, and if you've seen the, the TV show, there's Jack Bauer and there's everybody else it seems like. And uh, everybody that walks in the show, my wife and I have gotten to the point now that as soon as they introduce a new character, it doesn't matter who, they could be the janitor. You're like, spy or not a spy, right? They're, they're, they've got to pick a team. They're either with Jack or they're against Jack. It doesn't matter the story. Every story, every good plot is going to have this good versus evil. And so here we come to chapter 12, and as uh, Stephen preached even last week, the beginning of chapter 12, chapter 12 is really uh, built around this argument, this, this disagreement here between the Pharisees and Jesus. It started in, in the beginning of chapter 12 with this, the disciples were picking grain on the Sabbath, which defied the Pharisees' laws. And so they began to have this discussion about whether they could eat on the Sabbath and so forth. And you get down to verse 14 in chapter 12, and it says, The Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And so you have these Pharisees, these religious elite, that go out and they're, man, they're looking to destroy Jesus. And then as we finish up the the sermon last week, uh, Matthew shows that this was all done to fulfill. Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 42, and so this is the Messiah. We know this is the Messiah. And we come to verse 22. And Jesus is going to bring us to the idea, in my title for the sermon, there are two kingdoms. There are two kingdoms. There are two kingdoms in this story. You have good and you have evil. You have the kingdom of God and you have the kingdom of uh, Satan. And so... We come to this miracle, which is an incredible miracle. But Matthew's focus is not on the miracle. He doesn't tell us much about the miracle. He just says that it happened. So he says, verse 22, a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him. And the man spoke and saw. That's all he says about the miracle. We don't know how he did it. We don't know if he spoke to the demon. We don't know if he touched the man. We don't know if he, he put mud on his eyes. We don't know how it happened. But Jesus here comes and he heals this demon-oppressed man. It's interesting that a demon-oppressed man, we don't don't even know how he acted. We've seen other demon-possessed men in the the gospel where the man was running around through the graveyards, through the tombs, cutting himself, trying to throw himself in the fire. We've seen them tearing their clothes off. they, they, They had to take them and chain them. But whatever the outcome was here, we see there's both a spiritual battle going on and we see a physical. 
And so you see here, a, a demon-oppressed man, depending on how he acts, this could be a situation where you could say, yeah, I cast the demon out, and he may be normal for 30 days. It, would be, it might be hard to prove. But the fact of the matter is they come to this, this miracle, and he's demon-possessed, he's blind, he's mute, and Jesus heals him. Now, listen, demon oppressed, being demon-oppressed is not just this little thing. I think a lot of times we fall into this idea that, that demons and angels are these, you know, the little red guy on your, your shoulder with a pitchfork and he's talking into your ears trying to get you to do bad and there's this angel with his halo and wings on the other side and, they're, and they're, he's talking trying to get you to do good. This is, this is a big thing. In fact, if you take your Bibles and turn back to Daniel real quick in Daniel, you will find this, uh, an angel where Daniel comes in contact in Daniel chapter 10 with this angel. And so uh, in Daniel chapter 10... Verse 4, it says, On the 24th day of the first month, he was standing, Daniel was standing on the bank of the great river. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man in linen and a belt to find gold. His body was like beryl, and his face was appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, and his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, saw alone the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So here's Daniel with these guys. This angel appears, this unbelievable angel standing before him, and only Daniel sees him. But even the presence of an angel brought such trembling that the other men that were with him, they didn't see the angel, but they took off and, and ran away. And Daniel goes on to say, and his hand touches him, and he and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He falls down before him. He, he has no more strength. Verse 9. But the interesting thing is, verse 12, then the angel says to Daniel, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia. Here's what he says. Here's this angel. He's coming, and twenty-one days ago, Daniel had been praying for him, and he had been praying and humbled himself before God, and this angel's coming to help him. And for twenty-one days, he's doing battle with this demon. I mean, this angel is impressive. And for 21 days, he's battling this demon until Michael comes and helps him. And the point here is, demons are not this easy, little, simple thing to get rid of. In fact, the Pharisees are going to recognize this. And here's this battle going on in, in Daniel, 21 days. Listen, folks, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And what I think this shows us here is, hey, listen, demons are not something we, we, it is better that we do not know what is going on in the spiritual realm. Because that would just freak us out. Right? I mean, here's this battle going on, and here's this demon has taken over this man. And whatever was going on here, Jesus cast him out. Which, once again, is just demonstrating the power of Jesus. And in fact, it blows everybody away. Look what it says. And all the people were made, all the crowds. This is the only time this, this term is used. You usually see in the crowd and the people. Here's all the peoples or all the crowds were amazed. This, this was a shocker. We don't know how it was done. We don't know what it looked like. All we know is we, he was healed. The demon was cast out, he was, could see, he could speak, and everybody was amazed. And look what they said. Can this be the son of David? Now, we know from Matthew chapter 1, if you're here for the lineage, the whole point was what? 
looking for this king, this one, the son of David. Who is this king? And immediately when this miracle happens, all the people, all the crowds look around and say, could this be him? He doesn't fit the profile. This is not what they were looking for. Right? They were looking for a king that would come and free them from the Romans. They were looking for this one that would come, this man from Galilee. But the moment this happens, they're like, this could be him. Could this really be the son of David? And they begin a debate concerning the king. We see this debate concerning the king because immediately, verse 24, the Pharisees heard it. They said, it is only by Beelzebul the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. It is only by Satan. This is a spiritual warfare. Now listen, the Pharisees, here in this, in this chapter, they're obviously rebelling against Jesus. They're attacking Jesus. But they have, a, they have the right premise here. Number one, the, the, the Pharisees realize that this is a spiritual warfare going on. Right? Their first inclination is, man, no man could do this. This is what everybody's saying, right? No man, no human being could do this. This has got to be something bigger than human beings. The problem with the Pharisees is going all the way back to chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. The problem with the Pharisees is that the Pharisees saw themselves as good and righteous. And when they see themselves as good and righteous, everything that disagrees with them therefore has to be evil. And so while the people were looking around and saying, wow, nobody else could do this. This must be the king. This must be the son of David. The Pharisees seeing themselves as good, and that is their starting premise, therefore have to say anything that is going to disagree with us has to be evil. And folks, as we go into this passage, the Pharisees' attitude and their theology is not so far off of what we see in our world today. When you start with this premise of everybody's good, listen to me, when you start with this idea and you hear people, I mean, you see it on the news. Kid goes in and shoots somebody. They interview his mom or his neighbor or whatever, and what's the, what do they say? Oh, he was a good kid. He just shot somebody, right? But our premise is everybody's good until they prove themselves evil. And so we see this, there's this debate about the kingdom. And so they say, it's by Beelzebub, the king of demons, that this man casts out demons. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, verse 25, says to them, Every kingdom that is divided against itself is laid to waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore... They will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, and the kingdom of God has come upon you. What is Jesus saying? Jesus here is making a distinction about the kingdoms. And he enters into an argument, a discussion. He is attacking the Pharisees in their belief here. He says, very simple. All right? This guy was demon-possessed. We all agree with that. The question is, you automatically attribute... My work to Satan. I've got to be a Beelzebul. I've got to be a Satan to cast this demon out. He says, number one, that doesn't make any sense. Why would Satan cast out Satan? Everybody knows that a kingdom that is divided cannot stand. In fact, he goes from kingdom down to city down to house. 
Now, anybody that knows somebody that has struggled with their marriage or relationships realizes very quickly what? Listen, if you are married and you are living inside the same house, but your goals and your focus and your vision are in two different places, guess what? How long is that going to work? With the husband's attitude and his focus and his goal is all about his job. And the woman, uh, and the wife, her goal and her focus is all about the kids. How long is this marriage going to last? Probably not very long. Because Jesus is making the point, listen, there cannot be internal strife going on. There can't be division inside the kingdom. Because if there's division inside the kingdom, the kingdom will not stand. So, Pharisees... Your argument doesn't make any sense. Why would I cast out a demon if I was from Satan? Now, you may say, well, there's a possibility that it could be like a good spy movie where the spy does something just to, you know, make them believe something. And and so he's really doing something against his greater purpose for another reason. But Jesus is saying that that doesn't make any sense. There, There can't be a division here. If this demon is from Satan, why would Satan cast him out? Therefore, flip side of that would be, if it's not Satan, what does it have to be? Well, now you have to admit it's God. He says, well, 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 while we're there, let me just say this. He says, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? By sons... The rabbis, the Pharisees in those days would have people that they would mentor, people that were trainees underneath them. So the idea of sons, much like Jesus had his disciples, these guys would have these people that were disciples that were underneath them. And obviously, from Jesus' context, there are some that had done some uh, casting out of demons. Now, just for a moment, if I am, as a pastor, let's say I'm mentoring somebody. Okay, so I'm going to mentor Steve down here. He's got a great name, and so you know I'm, I'm just going to help mentor him. And so Steve's down here, and I'm mentoring him. And Steve goes out from underneath me. He's my disciple. He goes out, and he casts out a demon. I would immediately say what? Well, praise God. Obviously, I'm a very spiritual leader. I'm a great leader, and God is using me greatly. And now you can see how great of a, a disciple I am or mentor because Stephen is casting out demons. And, and praise the Lord, God is working in miraculous ways using Steve because I have trained him. Right? You can, you can see how the flow would go. They would all assume that their disciple had cast out demons in the name of God. He was being used by God. So Jesus' argument here is, Wait a second. If immediately when I cast out a demon, your mind immediately goes to, well, it must be through Satan, then what are you saying about your sons? Because you have assumed that they are doing it through God. Now you're opening the door to the fact that maybe your disciple is casting them out in Satan's name. And you can see how they, they would be backpedaling very quickly. But what Jesus is pointing out here is that there are definitely two kingdoms. And here's what we need to know about the kingdoms. Number one, the kingdom must be unified. There has to be unity in the kingdom. Because no kingdom that is divided will stand. That means if you're a part of God's kingdom, your goals, your focus, 
your desire, your drive will be to the unity of the kingdom. And when we are all focused on the king and his kingdom, it will bring unity. But listen, folks, how many of us know people that you have invited to church and said, nah, man, I've heard about that church. All they do is fight. All they do is bicker. I don't want anything to do with that. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? Why? Because, folks, too many times we as followers of Christ or people of God are not unified about the kingdom. And look what Jesus says. But if it is the Spirit of God, verse 28, that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If this is through the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God is here. And if the kingdom of God is here, what does he go on to say? How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. If the kingdom of God is here, the people were right, the crowds were right. The king is here. I am the king. Because why? Because if this is the kingdom of God and he is here, then I have bound the strong man. I have bound Satan. I am the one that cast out the demon. The the, the strong man, Satan, no longer has control. The king and his kingdom are, are bigger than Satan. Look what he says. Verse 30. Not only must there be unity... But there is absolutely no neutrality. Look at verse 30. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now, I don't know how you watch sporting events. I love to watch sports. It really doesn't much much matter. There's obviously some I like better than others. When I was single and before I got married, I worked at a camp. And, man, I'd be working 80, 100 hours a week, and we'd get done Saturday afternoons. And, man, I could go home at noon, sit down, and uh, or, or I had UVA tickets. I'd go watch UVA, and then I'd come home, and I could watch a football game until Hawaii got done playing, which is usually like 2.30 in the morning. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I could watch it all day. Man, March Madness comes on. I can watch every game. It doesn't matter to me who's playing. I don't even have to have a real rooting interest in them. But I don't know about you, but when I watch a game, I find a way to pick somebody, and this is, it's a downfall of mine, but it will physically affect me. Every game I watch, one of the teams I'm rooting for, I've never had to attend the college, I haven't had to ever been close to the state, it doesn't matter, one of them I'm going to pick. So, uh, I'll I'll pick, I like colors, or or, or a team like uh, University of California, Santa Cruz, is playing, they're the fighting banana slugs. Anybody ever seen their mascot? Dude, I love the fighting banana slugs. And so, if I've turned on the TV and the fighting banana slugs are playing, I'm, I'm rooting for the fighting banana slugs. The mascot's cool, right? And so, here I am, the fighting banana slugs are playing. I don't even know if they have a football team. I've just seen their basketball team. And so, I'm watching the basketball game, and a call goes against the boy. I am I am all in. My wife will tell you. I mean, it is physically affect. I just get so into the game. I can't just watch. So, Jesus is saying to him, listen, there's two You cannot sit on the sidelines and not get involved in, the, in one of the two kingdoms. 
Because what does he say? Whoever is not with me, if you are not for God's kingdom, if you are not for the king and his kingdom, then you are against the kingdom. Why? Because look what it says. Whoever does not gather, active, you are gathering for the kingdom. Then you are, if you are not gathering, you are scattering. You are active in one of the two ways. You cannot be neutral when it comes to the kingdom of God. You cannot be, hey, I'm, I'm for it on Sunday and then we'll see you the rest of the week. No, you are either for the kingdom or you're against it. You are either gathering for the kingdom or you are scattering. He goes on to say, therefore, because you have to pick a side, because you cannot remain neutral in these two kingdoms, therefore, I tell you, every sin and blaspheme and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Now, what does that mean? What that is not saying is that every sin, every sin or blasphemy, uh, blasphemy, as long as it's not against the Holy Spirit, is forgiven and you can do it and it really doesn't matter. It's not what it's saying. What it is not saying is, well, you can speak against the Son of Man, you can speak against Jesus, but, but if you speak against the Holy Spirit, then that, that one will not be forgiven. That's not what it's saying. The point of what he's saying here in the context is there are people that have seen the work of God here. Right? And so you have these people that see Jesus cast out the demon, he heals the, the blind and the mute man, and they're interpreting what is going on here. And some will not understand and will not see Jesus for who he is. Now, isn't it interesting? I've, I've heard people say things like, well, man, I, I know this is the Bible, but if I was there in those days and I saw one of those miracles, I would believe. I think from the text, what we see is n- not necessarily. There were obviously the some that believed and there's some that don't. But what he is saying is there will be those that speak against Jesus, he will speak against seeing what they see and will not realize it for what it is. They will see the good works of God and they'll say, I don't know quite how to interpret it. And those people will have an opportunity to be forgiven. They can still repent of their sin and be forgiven. That's what he's saying. But there's another group of people that blaspheme the Holy Spirit. They speak against the Holy Spirit and they will not be forgiven. So what's the difference? D.A. Carson puts it this way. The first sin is the rejection of the truth of the gospel. But there may be repentance and forgiveness for that. The second sin is rejection of the same truth in full awareness that this is exactly what one is doing. Thoughtfully, willfully, and self-consciously rejecting the work of the Spirit. Here are the Pharisees that know the law. They've read the Old Testament. We just saw Matthew bring out that Jesus did these things to, to, to fulfill prophecy of Isaiah. And here are the men that know this. They see the works of Jesus. They see what's going on. And they willfully reject it. They willfully see the good works of God. We were created in the image of God to bring glory to God. And they see the good works of God and they immediately turn the good works to evil and they put their evil works good. And they willfully reject Jesus. He says, 
When you see the good works of God and make them evil, and you take your evil works and make them good and think that somehow that is going to work, you will never repent. You will never be forgiven. Why? Because you will never come to the realization that you need Jesus. You will never come to the point of repentance. You will never be, why? Because you are willfully rejecting your need for Jesus, the works of Jesus. And you have taken your evil and said, no, I am good enough. I will stand before God and I can come out of this unscathed because I am good enough. And you willfully reject the works of Christ. But God in his grace says there are people that will see the works of Christ. And they may sin and they blaspheme even the works But when they come to an understanding, they can repent and turn to Christ and they will be forgiven. But a rejection of the Spirit cuts people off from forgiveness here and for the ages to come, for eternity. These are the two kingdoms. You say, well, as many people would, what, 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 how do you know? How do you know you're a part of the kingdom? I mean, the Pharisees, even Jesus said, if, you're, if your righteousness not, does not exceed the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never see the kingdom of God. How do you know? Jesus says here, gives them a test for the kingdom, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit, fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, same, same terminology that John the Baptist used in, in chapter 3, verse 7. These people that were spewing venom, that were opposing God, that were scattering people from the kingdom. He says, how, will you, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I will tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, immediately our sinful heart goes to the fact of, well, I just need to clean up my words. Right? I mean, you can imagine the Pharisees. Here are people that are doing all kinds of works to get to get in, in, into a relationship with God. That They're doing all kinds of works so that they can get to heaven, and, and they hear this. And much like many of us may say, well, all right, maybe I've said a couple things. But I'll clean up my speech. That's not Jesus' point. Here's Jesus' point. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, all right? You're the Pharisees. Well, look at our fruit. Obviously, our tree's got to be good. And Jesus, listen to me, Jesus is not concerned about the fruit, Until he's concerned about the tree. Because your fruit will not reflect just some works. What your fruit reflects is your heart. And so he says, you brood of vipers. Here are people that are trying and trying and trying to refine the tree. They're trying to staple apples to an orange tree and call it an apple tree. He says, you're... you're, taking people and you're scattering them because you're trying to make them follow a law that will not bring them into right relationship with Christ. And listen, there are thousands upon millions of people on this earth that are trying to do that. And let's not just blame it on the Mormons or the Muslims. There are plenty of people that sit in our Baptist churches 
that believe if I, get to, if I get to church and I'm there every time the doors are open and, man, if I've been baptized and I'm on a church roll, all these things will get me into the kingdom if I act a certain way. This is Adam shared his testimony with our teens at Ignite about how for years he, he would show up on Sunday and put on a good face, but everybody knew on the weekend what he did was not Christian. And I'm not trying to call him out. I appreciate his testimony because it convicted some of our boys that live in this world. This world of, man, I can't, went to church, show up at church, go to a revival once in a while. Man, I'm in. Jesus is not looking for works. He's not saying when you get judged if your words were right. What he's saying is your words will not be right unless your inside is changed, unless your inside is good. And what we know is that nobody is good. Romans 3. We are all sinners. Therefore, we need something to change our inside. 2 Corinthians 5. Anybody be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It is not about just changing an exterior and making sure you speak right. He says, no, that is venom. But... He says it is a test of what comes out of your heart. Why? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He uses the term three times in in 35. The good person, out of the good treasures of the heart, brings forth good. So he's putting it here in in a priority. Hey, if you have, your inside is good. Your inside has been changed. It is good. Then your treasure will be good. What you desire, what you're looking for, what your goals are have changed. Therefore, it will bring out good. But if you are evil, your treasures will be evil. And therefore, what will come out will be evil. Because isn't it interesting there in verse 36, as we wrap up, he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word. What Jesus is not saying is man when you come to church if everybody thinks you're spiritual by the way you answer questions in sunday school class and when the preacher comes over you you make sure that you talk right no jesus says what is important and what really comes out is the careless words when you know you're with friends or you know you're by yourself or you know that you have to you can be the person you want to be and you don't have to worry about anybody else and you don't have to impress anybody else what is coming out of your mouth And so let's take this and just apply it very quickly because he says, for by your words, you will be justified. You will be legally declared righteous. Now, again, he's not saying if your words are righteous, that declares you righteous. He's saying what is comes out of your mouth reveals your heart. My illustration for this is I I don't remember any, if any of you remember when you were, you were dating, right? You're in college and we were on the football team. We always came to college early. And so you were there like two weeks early and you had preseason and of course the girls soccer team was there and the volleyball team and so you're you're like scoping out the new group of girls to, to date and man you would see girls come in and you're like oh hello right that's the girl I'm asking that girl out and you ever get around and, and guys are the same way so don't don't think I'm just picking but you ever see somebody you're like Ooh, I man I'd like to date her or, man, I'd like to get to know them. And then they open their mouth. And the moment they open your mouth, they're like, ooh. Dude, that is, ooh. I don't want to be around that. Anybody ever met somebody like that? Right? 
Their mouth defies them. He says, your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Your words, when you aren't thinking about them, when you're just letting them go carelessly, reflect the intentions of your heart. What is your heart? Anybody ever said something and say, oh, I didn't mean that. Oh, I don't normally talk like that, but... Folks, we must see and hear the words that come out of our mouth and then take them and say, what is really going on in my heart? And listen, God convicted me this week, even in studying this. What is coming out of your mouth? Because, let's go back now real quick. What comes out of your mouth, is it unifying for the kingdom? Is it gathering for the kingdom? Or is it scattering? I wonder if the words that come out of my mouth are the words that come out of your mouth. When heard in the community and around your friends, and when you're not worried about what anybody else is thinking, and you allow things to come out of your mouth, do those things gather for the kingdom, or do they scatter? Because what is important here to Christ is not the outside with the Pharisees. What is important and what will be judged is what is in the heart. And what I'm afraid is too many times our words reflect evil hearts. And your words also reflect the side you're on. You cannot remain neutral between the two kingdoms. You are either for God or against God. And I wonder how much our words are for God. I mean, think about it. How much do our words really speak about God? I'm not saying we don't invite people to church once in a while. I'm not even saying we don't, you know, say praise the Lord once in a while. But the truth of the matter is, how much do we actually talk about God? Think about it. When you come to church, how much do you talk about God? Or do we sit down in our Sunday school class and talk about the ball game? Or talk about what we did on the weekend? Or talk about the family? And God and the word of God and the name of God never cross our lips. Folks, if our words are evil, it is not about changing the words. It is allowing Christ to change what is inside. Has Christ changed our inside? Because if Christ has changed our inside, then our treasure will be good. And our words will be good. But as long as our inside is evil, our desires and our treasure will be evil. And our words will be evil. Where do you stand today? If, God, if you stood before the judge today, where would your words from this week, which side would they be on? Which kingdom would they be building? Would you be gathering or are you scattering?